Now let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this privilege, this honor, this wonderful opportunity to fellowship with you and with each other as a family, a family that you've created for our enjoyment to your glory. Father, what a privilege this is. Thank you also, Father, for the Word of God that you've given us, that we have the faculties to be able to take it in each and every day as much as we so choose, Father. Thank you for your patience, your mercy, and your grace, and most of all, your love. Father, we pray for those still suffering in the church, physically, emotionally, even spiritually, that you heal them. We pray for those most destitute in this world, those that haven't received your Son. We just pray that they're humbled. We are so grateful and thankful, of course, for your Son's work on the cross, our Lord and Savior, to make a morning like this a reality. Thank you. We just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. How's that AC? Is that too loud? It seems kind of loud. Yeah, Billy's kind of giving me the look. I don't blame you. I can hear it way up here. and it's, If I was anywhere near that, I'd be completely distracted. So thank you. Anyways, um, God sees the heart, but the world sees the choices we make, part 14. Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday this past week were all message dominated by the idea that a certain, at certain times in our lives, um, sometimes more than others, summer seems to be a sweet spot, we become what I'll affectionately call stragglers. Stragglers. Stragglers are usually identifiable by their lack of interest in truly convicting messages. And I think over the years, I'd have to, do a, I'd have to look back on it, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if God worked that way. He gave special blessings to the individuals who are here uh, faithfully, who do take in God's grace faithfully uh, at the end of summer. I wouldn't be surprised one bit if that's the way he works. Because he says, you know, more shall be given to the one who uses his grace well. So anyways, stragglers are usually identifiable by their lack of interest in truly convicting messages. Or more specifically, they allow their flesh to take them away from what Jesus calls the truth. And as we know from John 8.32, it's the truth that will make you free. Now, as a balance statement, whenever we approach this topic, um, we must do so while keeping our irritation, our aggression in check. Um, I don't know about you, but even with myself, I get pretty irritated. And then as a shepherd, you can imagine that that irritation is multiplied when I see my flock straggling away. For the truth is that these people, while definitely not victims or suffering from some new medical disorder called offended defiance disorder, 
or something ridiculous. The truth is that these people are just flat out weak and overcome by their own fleshes. If you think about it, unbelievers are relegated to such living. That's all they have. Furthermore, even false believers who play the game of cat and mouse with the truth, never really wanting to get caught, seem to find it a rush to hunt for some cheese in the cat's den, let's call it. I hope you understood uh, this past week's lessons. Those of you who have obeyed God's command to receive all of His grace, I hope you understand now that this isn't some point of contention between a pastor and his sheep. Rather, it's an issue between the Lord and his sheep. If said sheep are actually his own in the first place. Because no one ever knows. I certainly don't know who is saved and who's not saved. And before we dispel such issues and point our fingers at others, we know from Holy Scripture that even believers, that's you, I'm assuming, can behave like unbelievers. Something I referenced in this week's blog, which was titled um, The Sleeping, Awaking the Sleeping Giant. Thank you. Jeez, I was going to get there. You guys are. I told you to keep the aggression down. Jeez, Todd. I was getting there. I'm just trans, you know. Go to 1 Corinthians 3 1. Quickly, aggressively. <laughs> yeah, awakening the sleeping giant. Mm hmm. 1 Corinthians 3 1. So the point is that we can, instead of pointing fingers, that's the easy thing to do. Um, we ought to look within ourselves. 1 Corinthians 3.1 And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there are there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? He didn't say they weren't in Christ. He said they were in Christ. But he also says that they're walking like mere men. In other words, we can exhibit the same personality characteristics, if you would, as an unbeliever. Again, we know from the Word that even believers can be overcome by fleshly thinking, saying, and doing. So, please know that in some way, we all suffer from the maladies that are being addressed here. We all do. It's just that apparently, given my, the frequency of these lessons as of late, the timing of these lessons, apparently some of you have been suffering increasingly so as of late. And I'm not surprised. It happens the end of every summer. There's a falling away, if you would. People start straggling about. And um, in their weakness, they stop taking in all the grace that he's put before them. And they're the ones who suffer in the end. And so part of my job is to, what the Bible would call, exhort. To firmly encourage you. 
to remind you that um, stepping away from your first love is, a, is the big mistake in your life as a believer. So apparently, some of you have been suffering increasingly so as of late. As I mentioned on Thursday, the summer is historically the greatest producer of stragglers throughout the year. Now, with that said, here's how we began on, thurs on Thursday up here on the board. Why stragglers? Why is it that whenever convicting messages are presented, certain people are absent from their seats? Why is it typically the same people even? Maybe you don't notice that, but as a shepherd, I do. Isn't it obvious? Luke 10, 38-42, Psalm 119, 1-9, Galatians 5, 16-17. What I see, for whatever it's worth, what I see are commonalities. I can tell you, three months prior, who's going to fade away in the summer and probably be 80% accurate. Why? Because I know enough about what's going on in each of your lives, just enough to know that you're going to get dragged away just like clockwork. You're just going to get dragged away. Why? Because you don't listen. If it comes from the pulpit, if it comes from the Word of God, that if you sustain this lifestyle that you're sustaining, you will fail. And eventually you will be overcome. And it happens every time, just like clockwork. Nonetheless, go to Luke 10, 38. Luke 10, 38. But everyone likes to test the waters, don't they? Nah, not me. Not me. I can handle this. I can handle all these parties and the putting off of God's grace and the distractions. I can, you know, do all these things. Oh, look. Oh, this is my favorite. Oh, look. I'm in God's, I'm in God's creation. I'm enjoying God's creation. See, I'm still with him. He's still with me. I'm, I'm enjoying God's creation. See, I'm out here in the mountains or I'm out here on the beach. You know, I got my radio playing. I got K-Love on. Come on. People play all these games. Luke 10, 38. Just because you listen to Caleb on the way to the beach doesn't mean you're taking in all his grace, especially when there are blogs piled up in your email. <clears throat> Luke 10, 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Look at this scene. So Mary's sitting at the Lord's feet, just listening. Just li I'll, I'll listen to anything. I'll sit at your feet just to hear your words. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. So here's the Messiah in their home. And one spending her time cleaning up the house. I mean, how often and for how long are you going to have the Lord personally in his incarnation sitting with you? It's unbelievable. And you're going to spend your time cleaning the house or whatever you're preparing to do? Oh, that's right. Three-hour potato soup. Remember? Oh, that's right. Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And that's the indictment on all of us. Have we chosen the good part? Or do we choose the details of life? 
So the question on the table from this past week was, what are you toiling over? Are you at the Lord's feet every day? Or are you at the world's feet toiling over details? What's your priorities? Which do you love more? Which or what things are you toiling over? Better yet, what has distracted you from a life dedicated to the Lord, to His Word, to His Spirit? What has distracted you? Up here on the board, we read this larger passage this past week, but I'll give you the amplified. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping watch on himself, according to your word, conforming his life to your precepts. How can a young man or a woman keep his way pure? By keeping watch on himself, according to your word, conforming his life to your precepts. Not the world's precepts, to his precepts. The same goes for women, of course. Up here on the board, Galatians 5, 16 to 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Again, our instigating slide was this. Why stragglers? Why is it that whenever convicting messages are presented, certain people are absent from their seats? That might be you, by the way. You might actually look in the mirror and say, yeah, why is it that I'm absent? And you might say, but I don't maliciously skip. Something just seems to come up. Yeah, you dummy. What do you think? Seriously, what do you think? You think that the kingdom of darkness isn't that smart to distract you? You don't think the the kingdom of darkness is smart enough to know that if they just do this one little thing in your life, your head's going to snap over and you're going to redirect your attention here instead of, say, church or the blog or Bible study or reading your own Bible? There's a one I haven't mentioned in a while. How about that? How about a daily reading of your Bible? The kingdom of darkness is very intelligent. Your head's just going to snap over like it always has. And it's just going to keep playing that same game until you grow up. Why is it typically the same people? Isn't it obvious? So the Spirit commissions this under-shepherd to stand before you and exhort you the way I seem to have to do at least once or twice a year. I have to assert myself, in a sense. I have to assert, it's not even me although I'm the one who's been given the delegated authority. I could stand here without this pulpit, and it'd still be the same authority. This pulpit doesn't give me authority. God gave an authority. God delegated authority to this vessel. I could stand over there and hear the music. You don't probably want me to do that. I might stop banging on the keyboard. But I'd be the same authority. I could stand over there, and I'd be the same authority. So... For whatever reason, once or twice a year, he says, I need you to assert my authority through you. And it's funny because even now, chances are, and this may seem like an abomination to some of you, and it should, but chances are that some of you right now are rejecting 
the very notion of this God-given authority in your life. You're like, no, I'm not having it. That's to your own detriment. That's all I can tell you. is because God's not an idiot. You are. If you reject any authority, especially from God directly like this one in your life, you're an idiot. Let me say it again. You're an idiot. Did you get it? If you're rejecting anywhere in the deep recesses of your soul right now, you're an idiot. Why? Because all the blessings come from orienting to his authority. You see how it works? I didn't make the rules. God did. You have a problem, you have to go to God. But that would mean orienting to his authority because he would tell you from authority what the answer to your problem is. But you don't want the authority. See how it goes? I think it's easy to forget, maybe convenient is the better word, that I am a delegated authority. And by definition, delegation means vested authority, which means that the authority doing the delegating has imparted his authority to whomever he has given it to. Practically speaking, this means that my authority technically has the strength of God's. Am I a perfect executive of said authority? Duh. No. But you know what? That doesn't change the facts. That doesn't change the facts one iota. The Bible never says, submit and obey until you don't feel like it. Or until you have a disagreement. Until you can't see what the bald guy sees. Until you want to just disobey. That's not authority orientation. That's a game. You're either oriented or you're not. Stop playing games. If God's word says submit to him and his delegated authorities, then it's your job to do just that. Go to James 4.7. Another quiet Sunday. You see how it is? Honest to goodness, what's the problem? Why is it quiet today? Why is it that the old people are like on the edge of their seat, loving every last drop of this message, drinking it like sweet nectar, and then anybody underneath that is kind of already rumbling and having problems in their soul? Why is that? It's called maturity. It's called maturity. That's exactly what it is. You know what? I'm not talking about just age, although there's a correlation there. I'm talking about spiritual maturity. I'm not talking about people that actually get it. James 4, verse 7. The key word is submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit is from hupotasso up here in the board in the Greek. It means to fall in line under. Some of you soldiers should get this immediately. This should be obvious to soldiers here. You know what it means to fall in line. Hey, I don't like this line, Sergeant. Whoopsh. Well, they don't do that anymore because they're, they're candies. But then they send them out to war where someone shoots them in the face. They wonder why they got shot dead because they got no real discipline to authority. I don't think we should charge up that hill. I think we should charge up that hill. I don't give a crap what you think. 
Get in line. Get in line. Last time I checked, we're soldiers for Christ. I didn't say that. Isn't that in the Bible? Yeah. Soldiers for Christ. And so much of the language that's, that's used for orienting to the word has a military connotation. Collect your marching orders. Present yourself even as soldiers, as instruments of righteousness. That doesn't mean you have the um, authority even to bark out and to contest with the authority in your life. If the authority says, hey, listen, you see all this stuff that's lined up? You see what? You see all this stuff? So there's one thing. Here's another thing. Yep, here's another thing. Here's another thing. Those are all forms of grace. Will you eat them all, please? And you go, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. Well, then starve. It's your choice. That's the beauty about free will. Then starve. Just don't complain when you're hungry and you don't know what the heck's going on in your life, and you're emaciated and weak and pathetic, don't complain, especially not to the bald guy who I put there to exhort you, who's doing you a favor out of love. Especially not to that guy. He's got enough going on in his life. Just correct yourself, orient. That's what this means. Submit. Fall in line under, to subject to, as an authority orientation. For this submission to function, it must be self-willed. Not forced, not my job to stranglehold you, to wrestle with you in your ridiculous personalities. It's not my job to do that. It has to be your uh, free will decision up here on the board. That's why in the Greek you don't see it necessarily. But this is what it says in the original Greek. It actually translates, I submit, I subject myself to, I place under. Emphasis on I. As I mentioned on Thursday, it's not a pastor's job to beat the word into you. It's your job to submit. Again, if God's word says submit to him and his delegated authorities, then it's your job to do just that. We looked at another familiar passage regarding this idea of submission. Go to Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17. I think a lot about that too. And I think that... Um, One of the reasons, it's rare, I know this is going to sound weird, and don't make too much out of this, but it is related to you know, what Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle um, than to get a rich person to Christ. It's because people with power on the outside have a hard time submitting inside. Guys, you've got to stop that for me, please. Is there something going on? It's distracting me. People on the outside that have any kind of authority have a hard time submitting. Now here's where it gets dicey. Because that same person is the same person that forgets that anything that they've been given, any ability, any authority that they've been given was from the Lord himself. The same person who gives authority to this person has authority over you. That's why you don't see a whole... When's the last time we saw a uh, doctor in here? We had one lawyer, but he didn't stick around. We had another one a long time ago. You might get a business person here and there, but it, you don't get a whole lot of people with a lot of authority in a church like this. Why? Because they have a really hard time submitting to authority. Because you see they're king of the hill. 
And then they get this guy who's, what, 49 years old? I look, you know, 29. So I've been told on a golf course, I thought he had 300-something yards. Just kidding. No, I'm not really not, but whatever. Right? How are they going to submit to me? Oh, he's even kind of cocky, isn't he? I don't like his face. You think some business leader wants to come in here and submit to me? That's the problem. And I've seen it happen. As people sort of climb up, they straggle away because the world gives them authority and they forget about the actual authority that's in their life, that's God-given authority. You don't, like, come up and swing around the pastor. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think people forget that. Hebrews 13, 17, that's why you don't see a whole lot of that genre, if you would, of person in a church like this, they'll go to some fake church. They'll go to one that, you know, says, oh, we love you, give us more money. And you can buy your way religiously into our good gracious. And we'll even hold you up. We'll make you an usher. You can wear your fancy $2,000 suits and show off to the crowds and, you know, wink at all the little kids and the ladies and, you know, flirt with everybody. And you can keep that position that you have in the world inside the church. And we'll play this game as long as you, you know, give us money and stuff and grace us out with your presence. And Jesus is like, aren't those the same people who put you into subjection? Aren't those the same people that sue you? Aren't those the same people that dominate you on the outside? And you want to give them places of honor? You want to give them seats of honor in the church? See, then a guy like me comes along and says, you have no seat of honor in this church. You can go sit on the couches for all I care. You have no seat of honor. As soon as they hear that, they're gone. It's amazing. Anyways, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Two words. Imagine that. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Obey uh, from Pato up here on the board. In the Greek, means to be persuaded, to believe, to trust. Here's the practical side of that. If you can't trust me, then do yourself a favor right now and go find a pastor you can trust. I say that with all honesty. I don't want you here if you can't trust me. Go find someone you can trust. If you can't trust my heart, then you'll never willingly submit to my authority. You won't. We aren't playing some perverse game of cat and mouse where I run around and try to catch you while you frolic in the world. We're not playing this game. I'm not going to try to chase you down. I may send you a text or an email or something or talk to you at church, try to encourage you, but I'm not going to try to chase you down. That's not my job. And this is precisely what the Word tells us up here on the board. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 to 8 in the New Living Translation God has called us to live holy lives. In other words, the calling is on us as individuals. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. I'm not with you 24-7, but God the Holy Spirit is. He's the one who you're rejecting. Because these kinds of messages really do stick because they're based on the Word. 
My job is as a waiter, I insert it into your soul, you take it away, God the Holy Spirit works with you on it. And so when you reject what you've learned, you're not rejecting me. Even though you'd like to put my face on the anger that you have, the, you know, the objection you have to truth, you'd like to put my face on it, you're really not. That's really not the case at all. I'm just a messenger. You're rejecting God himself. And the word of God says, you'll reap what you sow. So it's funny because out of love, I'm telling you these things so that you don't uh, reap poorly. So you don't miss out on blessings in your life. Nonetheless, here's the point the Spirit's making. When you reject the delegated authority, you reject the authority. If you reject this, me, me, personally, this office even, you're not rejecting me. That I know. You're rejecting God. Because God's the one who put me here. The only baseline you have is if you don't believe that God put me here, then you should leave. But if you do believe he put me here, then you have to submit and obey. Those are your options. All right, back to our verse. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Again, unprofitable for you means you suffer. All right, so far as we know, or so far we know that obey means to be persuaded, to believe, to trust. Then we have the other Greek word, hupeiko in the Greek, submit means to retire, withdraw, submit in context means to yield to God-given authority. It means you yield. There's a place of authority. It can be occupied by you, your flesh, or what have you, or it can be occupied by the God-given authority. And you yield it to the God-given authority. Otherwise, you're going to populate that position with yourself. Oh, captain, oh, captain, I am the captain of my own ship. If that's the case, then what the heck was God thinking when he created this spiritual gift? What would this spiritual gift even be for then? If you don't need it. That's why I always think of people who leave and never come back or never go to another church again. I say, what are you doing? Like, you actually need this authority in your life. Where'd you go? Like, what are you thinking? I mean, God's not an idiot, right? I mean, would you ever grow a tomato garden, right, and then one day just stop watering it? I mean, it, you have to water the plants, right, for them to grow. That's like a fact of life. Well, God says, I'm going to give you pastors to feed you, messages to guide you. Why would you take away part of the sustenance I've given you? Hmm. means to yield to God-given authority. So here's a conclusion up here on the board, at least one of them where blessings come from. I hope you see the connection here. It's not me trying to berate anybody, honest to goodness. I have to be firm. I have to tell you the facts. We know for a fact from Holy Scripture that if you obey and submit to me as your shepherd, God will bless you. And that's a tough one, too. I think people forget that. They're like, but I think he might be a little bit off. So? I think he might have lost his cool just then. So? What's your point? 
Who says that God won't bless you for following someone who even has failed? I'm going to fail. I have failed. I will fail again. I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm not going to hide behind it and tell you I'm perfect like some jackasses do. I've actually been under that kind of teaching before. I'm as imperfect as anyone. So? You think that's your excuse to get out of my authority? Get out from, slip out from underneath my authority? May it never be. God says he'll bless you for following the authority in your life. It never says you get to choose. He says submit and obey. If he screws up, if I screw up, I have to report to him. Do you think he's easy on me? If I screw up, I report to him. I don't report to you. I report to him. Don't worry, he'll take care of me. <laughs> Your job is to submit, obey. That's when he blesses you. Some of you wives are like, oh yeah, I know this lesson. I have to submit and obey to this jackass. And God blesses you when you do. And when you stop bucking that authority, next thing you know, you're miserable. So, here's the message, if you haven't seen it already. It's time to evaluate your priorities right now. Like, right now, everyone in here. Evaluate your priorities. It's the end of summer. Evaluate your priorities. What's your top priority? What did Jesus say to uh, Martha? Mary's got it right, and you don't. Mary's sitting here at my feet, soaking in everything I have to say. You might say, reading your Bible is sitting at the Lord's feet, soaking in everything He has to say. Yeah, I don't read the Bible because I've been at the beach all summer. I've been jet skiing, I've been traveling, I've been going to Disney World, I've been going to karate classes, I've been going to, I don't know, cartwheel class, I've been going to get my hair done every other week. I like triple up so, you know, because my roots are coming in gray now, so I got to like get them deep. You know, there's this new process. They inject, they inject um, dye into your scalp so that the hair comes out. I just made that up. It doesn't actually exist. Some of you women are like, really? That would be great. I could go like six months without my roots being done. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, man, is that like true? Is he like onto something? Time to evaluate your priorities. By now, you likely know that disparities do exist between your life and God's will for you. We wouldn't be having these lessons. They would not be so forceful if these disparities did not exist in your lives. I would, I'd be teaching something else. I don't know, maybe something more advanced. I don't know. But every, like I say, every once or twice a year, I have to come back to this stuff because people straggle away. Before they know it, the details of life have taken them away. And that's all the Spirit's saying is, what, what's the difference here? Here's where your priority should be, and here's where you are. Here's where Jesus should be, and here's where he actually is. Somehow he's percolated downwards, kind of sunken. If you don't know how to evaluate priorities, then, I don't know, bring, begin here. Go to Revelation 2.1. Here's a good place to start. How about this? Nice and simple. Revelation 2.1. Not rocket science, folks. It's just honesty. Be honest with yourself. Where are your priorities? Honestly. 
Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and I think some of you can relate to this church. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. Yeah, some, some of you are like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, yeah, see? And that you cannot tolerate evil men. Yeah, neither do I. Yeah. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. I do that. And they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have, had, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Yeah, that's me. But, uh-oh, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Oh, yeah, you're going through the motions, yeah. But you left your first love. Your first love has dropped down a few notches in your life. Hmm. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, repent, and do the deeds you did at first. So the kingdom of darkness, with a lot of help from your flesh, has supplanted your first love. The kingdom of darkness, with a lot of help, from your flesh, has supplanted your first love. For some of you, it's a member of the opposite sex. That's very often the case. For others of you, it's your job or your kids or your animals or whatever. And still for others, it's whatever idol has formed in their lives, in your lives. Some idol, let's say, I don't know. But in all cases, it's not Jesus. That's the problem. It doesn't matter what it is, so we can't be pointing fingers. Oh, yeah, that, that, that person's so weak. Like every other week, they have like a new friend or something. It doesn't matter. It's not Jesus. And we call that a counterfeit. When there's a position in your life that's reserved for Jesus, and someone else or something else is sitting in that position, it's called a counterfeit. That's what we call a counterfeit. I take $100 out of your pocket and put some Monopoly money in there. Now you, what do you, eh, that's called a counterfeit. If I want to get away with that, I make it look really a lot like the original $100 bill, right? Counterfeit love. This is the great robber of robbers. Now you have to think about this because this is the crux of our messages as of late. Counterfeit love. This is the great robber of robbers. Who do you love? What do you love more than Jesus? And don't say nothing or nobody, because you're a liar. You're a liar. And it's the sooner you realize that, the better off you'll be. You say you love Jesus. You say you adore him, but you use him. He's your rebound guy. You're in love with the world. You're out there traipsing around, with the world. You're gaining brownie points with the world. Batting eyelashes with the world. Having, not to be gross, intercourse with the world. You're more, some of you are more engaged this way with the world than you are with the word. That is a horrible thing. Someone or something has robbed you. Has robbed your own position in Christ Jesus. There's so many blessings in Christ Jesus. Counterfeit love. 
This is the great robber of robbers. Love is the most attractive, motivational emotion of all. The kingdom of darkness knows that if it seduces you from God's sphere of love, it can control every aspect of you. 1 John 4.18 Because now all of a sudden you're afraid. Ooh, ooh, I'm afraid. i got to do this. I'm afraid. I'm af- oh, man. I, I, oh, man. I'm afraid to lose this now. I'm afraid to lose that now. I'm afraid to lose this now. So now all the details become like fear factors, little uh, nudges from all different directions. You got to, oh, you know how it is, right? Got to keep the balls up in the air. Oh, crap, not crap, crap. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Oh, man, I almost dropped that ball. Oh, man, look at my life. Look at my life. I have nine balls in the air. And if I don't pay attention, I'm going to drop one of these. If Jesus, if you distract me, if I have to start taking in all that grace, my eyes are going to be diverted away from these nine balls. Maybe I can only do five at that point. And there goes my next promotion. There goes my best new friend. There goes whatever idol I just had. The kingdom of darkness knows that. Counterfeit love, this is the great robber of robbers. Love is the most attractive motivational emotion of all. The kingdom of darkness knows that if it seduces you from God's sphere of love, it can control every aspect of you. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love. So back to our instigating thoughts on stragglers. If Jesus was a straggler's first priority, wouldn't they be consuming every last drop of grace he's given them? Um, Has anybody ever been in love here? Wow. Hey, some some of the married people are like... Right? Remember the romantic phase? You just wanted to do every waking moment. Oh, oh, oh. What happens? What happened to your first love? What happened to Jesus? Most of you were like that when you first met him, when you realized that he died on the cross to save your hide. And you loved him so much. You really did. And it was real. What happened? Now it's, oh, yo. Alice better not have a setup like last week, boy, because I'm not giving any more than that jar back there. She better have some warm, hot quiche. So I'm going to register a complaint in them. Anonymous, of course, instead of putting $5 in there. People are like, oh, actually, we support that? <laughs> yeah. Some people do. Has taking in the truth become burdensome to you? Would you rather be at the beach? Would you rather be out on your motorcycle? Would you, be, would you rather be out with some jackass that could care less about Jesus to start with? What would you rather be doing? Go to John, 1 John 5, 3. 1 John 5, 3. If Jesus was a person's first priority, wouldn't they be consuming every last drop of grace he's given them? Wouldn't they be like Mary, sitting at his feet, soaking in every word, every moment possible with him? I think so. I think that's fair. If we're talking about true love, anyways, not abusive or manipulative or rebound guy love. 1 John 5.3 
For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Imagine that. There's a good attitude. His commandments are not burdensome. You remember the, what did I just say? Submit and obey, huh? Do I need to bust out the original language to show you that those are commands? Some of you are like, yeah, but it's a, I don't really like submitting. No offense, bald guy. I don't really like submitting to any person. And I have this problem with men because my father was a jackass. So I have this real problem with submitting to any man. Oh, did I hit a nerve? I mean, three quarters of the world has daddy issues because daddies are morons nowadays. That has nothing to do with anything. So stop hiding behind daddy issues. Is it burdensome to submit or obey? Why? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Don't blame daddy. Ask yourself why. That's a fair question. Ask yourself why it's a burden to follow commands from the Bible, from the Lord. Here's what the Bible says. His commands are not burdensome. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Hmm. Here's where we ended on Thursday, and it was a review point from Tuesday's message up here on the board. Stay in the sphere of love. Don't ever let it leave your side, regardless of the type of situation you're in. And maintain always your faith in God's love for you. And when in doubt, ask for more, because God is gracious towards those that are humble towards Him. God is gracious. When in doubt, ask for more. See, some of you, this is why I teach you. Because some of you lack the um, wherewithal. You say, ah, you're like that person that just is ill-equipped to take that first step. Well, what do I do? I mean, it sounds great. It sounds awesome. What do I do? When we receive that principle, we also receive supporting Scripture. Go to Mark 9.21. Mark 9.21. What do I do? This all sounds great and dandy. I want to submit. I want to obey. But obviously, I'm having problems. I kind of don't like it so much. My flesh always gets in the way. What do I do? Mark 9.21. And he asked his father of a possessed child here, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Some of you are saying, I do believe it's the right thing to submit and obey. But when push comes to shove, I always fail the test. You know? And maybe it is something ancient like daddy issues. I don't know. Maybe it is something that uh, visceral, something that primitive in your life that you know, you just don't like the idea of submitting to anyone, especially not a man with authority. I don't know. So if you're stuck there, what are your options? The point in reading this passage is to remind some of you that if you recognize minimally, for starters, that you've 
lost your first love, but you're really struggling with getting back to Him, simply go to God in prayer and He will cure you. He will help your unbelief. Some of you are so arrogant you won't go to Him in prayer. You'll try to like, um, I don't know, fix it yourself or something. I mean, God's really, you know, it's kind of newsflash. God's like really powerful. Some even call Him omnipotent. Who are you going to go to? What well are you going to go to? If you're too stinking weak, which you are, to cure yourself from your own ridiculousness, then where do you go? You always go to Him. But don't just go to Him with a um, form-fitted prayer. Like, God, this is what I want you to do. If you do this for me, this is how it's going to work. Do this, 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 and I think it will all work out. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you have this plan already. You just need him to anoint it. God, if I get it all figured out, here's my strategy, right? Five-year strategy. I'm going to be, no more daddy issues after, like, five years. I'm going to just, just, just anoint it, will you, so that you can bless it so that it all happens the way I planned it. Or you could be the sheep that you are and say, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I don't know how to get out of this mess. I'm a train wreck. He's like, I know. We ready to do this thing or what? I'm struggling. I don't even know where to start. The bald guy's kind of irritating him. I'm going to be honest with you. The bald guy's irritate me a lot lately. I know. Help me with this irritating man. <laughs> right? Help me deal with him because I want to charge the stage and choke him out. Right? He's hitting all these nerves. I don't like it. I don't like it, Dad. Yeah, I know. He's my vessel. He's doing it on purpose. That's why we ultimately we're having this conversation now. Isn't that cool when you look back? How we used this moron to get that moron back to him? Isn't that funny how that works? He will even agitate you with this vessel so that you go to him. Maybe you start off complaining. Man, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know. That's really irritating the crap out of me. He's like, good, we're talking about it. While we're at it. But you know what? You've got to show up in prayer. You've got to do with this guy. Help my unbelief. I don't know what's going on. I, I'm struggling. Let us not forget John 15, 4-5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. doesn't say some things. It says you can do nothing. Not of any value. This was from Tuesday too, I think. Why do we expect to have peace apart from hanging on the words of the giver of peace? That was, that's, when I read that story of Martha and Mary, that's exactly what I see. I don't see the, the detail. That, that could be you know, two guys. It could be a guy and a lady. It could be whatever. I see one person hanging on the very presence of the Messiah. Just hanging. Whatever it is you want, however I can be close to you, I'll sit at your feet. And if you remember back then, feet were pretty nasty because they were trudging around in like sewage and, you know, they didn't even care. I'll take, I'll do whatever. I just want to sit here and be with you, Lord. That's the visual. 
that we're supposed to get. That's how we apply it to our own lives. Some of you won't even read your Bible. You won't even let them in the house. You say, stay out there, because I just mopped the floor and your feet are messy. You stay out there, Jesus. I'll come when I'm ready. We'll go, I'll make some tea and we'll sit on the porch together. How about that, when I'm ready? After I'm done cleaning the house and disciplining my kids and, and, and uh, you know, feeding the dogs and whatever it is, doing my spreadsheets, whatever it is you do. And, and oh, my, oh, I don't have my phone on me, but whoosh, after I get through answering all these texts and these emails and, you know, I've got to get, oh, my, I'm down on likes in my social media. Post something sage. Post something wise. Oh, wise. This is wisdom. I need the dopamine. I need that rush. I can't get it. I can't get the rush, so I got to go get some booze. I get some booze. I just pump myself up with something. After I'm hungover, after all that, I'll meet you on the front porch. That's a believer? That's how we treat the Lord? Yep. If you're honest, I'd argue at the end of summer, that's exactly what some of you will look back on. That's exactly how I treated the Lord this summer. And it got worse and worse and worse. And he waited out on the porch, and I never came. And even when we sat there with our little iced teas together, I was on my phone. He was over there. I made sure he sat on my right. Hey, yeah, cheers! Why do we expect to have peace apart from hanging on the words of the giver of peace? So, that concludes our semi-annual review of authority orientation. Before we get into communion service, I want to tie this with our series, because our series is titled, God Sees the Heart, but the World Sees the Choices We Make. But that's that semi-annual review of authority orientation. I, told, I, I really do hope for your benefit, for your profit, you receive it well. Some of you won't. I know that for a fact. I can see it in your faces, even. Some of you won't. And that's between you and the Lord. Nothing I can do. I'm not going to beat it into you. But be grateful that, you know, that I had the courage to do it, I guess. All right, with that said, let's press on with our studies. God sees the heart, but the world sees the choices we make. And do not think these are two disjoint messages, because they're not. They're absolutely the same. So let's not forget that others are watching your respect or lack of for authority in your life? Starting with your pastor. You don't think people see that? How do you speak of your pastor? Do you speak of him? Uh, how do you speak of him? Seriously. Not because it's me, but that's the authority in your life. How do you speak of the authority, the spiritual authority in your life? How do you speak of that office even? Because people are watching. Do you speak highly? Of that person? Do you invite people to the church? Do you? Do you? Or do you, is it all just, you know, God this and God that? I don't want to talk about anything to do with the church. God forbid people think I'm weird. People think I'm actually authority-oriented. God forbid that happens in 2018, that you're an authority-oriented individual. God forbid... We have one singular choice that affects all others. 
To love or not? To love or not? Starting with your first love. And everything sort of precipitates from there. We have one singular choice that affects all others. To love or not? We see this in Holy Scripture. Go to 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. So the world's watching. 1 John 3.16. It really is the fundamental choice, isn't it? Love. 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed in truth. We will know this by this, that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. This is prayer, my friends. Because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know that by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So, again, up here on the board, just trying to rejoin with our message series to love. We have this one singular choice that affects all others to love. Up here on the board. Romans 13.10, love does no, does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So just reflecting a little bit, is it good to love? You tell me. You saw a, a perfect example of it this morning. If I didn't love you, I, wouldn't, sir, I would find some other way to weasel out of that message. I mean, it's, it's totally doable. I would just weasel out of it like some people do. Is it righteous to love? You tell me. Is it righteous to have what was inserted in the first hour of class into your soul this morning? You tell me. In other words, are there blessings to the functional love that you saw this morning? God has loved. So we rightly conclude that since He is Good and righteous, it must be both of these things to love. God is love, even. He's good and righteous. So, it must be both of these things to love. It's upon this fundamental precept that we are able to conclude this. Life made easy. When we abide in righteousness, we receive peace. To love is righteous. Therefore, a loving person is at peace. Remember our, our uh, series, The Peaceful Fruit of Righteousness? When we abide in righteousness, we receive peace. That's what we learned from that series. To love is righteous. Therefore, a loving person is at peace. If you want peace in your life, and I think I'll end here. If you want 
peace in your life. Learn what it means to love. I'm telling you right now, from personal experience, you will lose sight of that if you've lost your first love. You will lose, it'll be some counterfeit. If you don't know, if you can't function in the realm of perfect love, which is really Jesus Christ, what makes you think you're going to be able to spread said love amongst your brethren or amongst others? If you can't manage to be in love with Christ, your first love, I mean in love with him, not from a distance. If you can't be in love with him, what makes you think you're going to be capable of loving anyone else the way God wants you to? Seems like an impossibility to me. Seems like Jesus Christ has the corner market, or the market cornered on love. Since he's the one who owns it. So if you're not with him, what choice do you have? Hmm. To love is righteous, therefore a loving person is at peace. So if you want peace in your life, learn what it means to love. And then the contrary, of course, up here on the board. To the contrary, for people who don't love like Christ, the only option is fear. And that's why some people, even believers, functioning in the flesh, are slaves to fear. Fear of what? I don't know. You choose. And you know what? Unloving people fear everything. I think I'll leave you with that. Unloving people fear everything. People, they even fear love because it's a counterfeit. Oh, oh man, if I take in all of God's grace, then I have to stop maintaining this so-called loving relationship with this unholy person over here or this thing. I, in other words, I have to be the, um, the energy source behind loving this individual over here. And if I spend my time with Jesus, if I come over here and start taking all this great, I have no time. You know, all of, I can't do this anymore. I don't have enough energy to keep nine balls in here. I can only keep five. And all of a sudden, this relationship begins to erode and dissolve. And God may tell you that was never supposed to be there in the first place because that, that person is unhealthy for you. They could care less about my, my son. You think they're really going to usher you back over here? You think they're going to walk you over here? That's why, ladies, don't ever, don't ever go out with some guys to get set up with some dude that could care less about Jesus Christ because he's never going to walk you back to Jesus. In a, in a perfect world, I mean, we're all going to fight, right? In relationships, say, married couples... The best thing you can do to eat for each other is go seek Jesus. Even if that person can't stand to look at you, encourage them to go to Jesus. You need to go to Jesus right now. Perfect tactic for married people. Go to Jesus. Obviously, I'm failing you. You don't even want to look at my face right now. Go to Jesus. What kind of person who doesn't care less about Jesus Christ is going to say that to their spouse? None. None. They're just going to keep you in bondage and in fear. There's no relief for you. Beware. Unloving people fear everything. I would argue that they fear love itself because it's not real love. It's some counterfeit from the world. You should never be in fear 
of love or losing it or whatever, some unhealthy gyration of it. Because God's love is perfect. And perfect love never fails. Isn't that what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13? Love never fails? He's not talking about counterfeit love. He's talking about the Lord's love. He's talking about true love. He's talking about abiding in His love. That love never fails. That's the beauty of it. But if you're not abiding in that love, you're in fear of a whole host of things because you have no assurance because it's a counterfeit. If I give you a counterfeit $100 bill right now, I go, hey, it's pretty good. Why don't you go down to the store down the street and try to spend it? You're like, they're going to know. Am I going to go to jail for this? Or if you get it fresh off the press from the U.S. Mint and you know it's a $100 bill, you go in there with confidence. Give me my 40. I'm kidding. (laughs) Nobody? Only the, only the, uh, Some of you are like, nope, it would be scratch tickets. It'd be, I don't know, what would you guys buy? I don't know. But you'd go there with confidence. That's my point. But if it's counterfeit, you go in there with a little bit of fear. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe it won't. It's not what God wants for you. doesn't want counterfeits. Amen? All right, let's get ready for a communion service. Let me go to the end. As you can see, I had a lot of slides left for you guys. Thank you. I just want to read um, from Philippians 2. 
Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Amen? Let's think about those things as we partake in the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three reads, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of the Lord. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In remembrance of his work, let's drink the cup. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to reflect upon our Lord and Savior, His person, His work, all that He decided to be, all that He chose to be. We're so very grateful for His sacrifice, His willing sacrifice, Father, in accordance with Your will, of course. May we never take it for granted, Father, but receive all the grace that has bestowed, has been bestowed upon each of us as a result of being believers in Him. Father, may we learn to know what true love looks like and to seek our first love always. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit we do pray. Amen. Thank you.